Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Authentic Audience Podcast. My name is Krista Ritma, and I am your host. Today, I'm very excited to introduce you to my guest, Jennifer Lewis. She is a writer. Why do I keep doing this? I've literally recorded this intro 15 times because I keep saying writer. What I'm trying to say is she is a writer and editor of Red Light Lit. She has created a platform in which emerging and established writers can explore love, relationships, and sexuality without misogyny. I met Jennifer in 2014. She was actually my very first client. Long before Authentic Audience was even a thing, I decided to quit my job, do this thing full-time, help people with their brands, help people with their websites, and my friend posted about my new services and Jennifer reached out to me. So we've been working together for some time. I look up to her in a huge way. I have the biggest girl crush on Jennifer. Most people who meet her do. Um, She is such a good writer, such a good storyteller, is such a champion of writers and emerging writers. She's created this beautiful experience, Red Light Lit, in addition to being a reading series and small press. Um, She puts on these amazing events, which we're going to talk about more on the podcast today. And if you ever have a chance to go to one, it's It's hard to explain. It's just an experience that you have to have for yourself. And one of my favorite things is taking people to a red light lit event and letting them experience it for the first time. Um, It's changed me. I've actually read for red light lit. Jennifer um, got me to read one of my pieces about last year, maybe two years ago now. And she's just wonderful. She has so much to say about the world of writing. We talk about being a mom. We talk about identity. We talk about storytelling. We talk about going with a publisher versus self-publishing. We talk all about uh, fiction versus nonfiction and where to draw the line and so much more. I'm so happy to know her. I'm grateful to know Jennifer. I, I really can't say enough. I really, really, really love everything that she stands for and everything that she does. And she has truly found her calling in this. And I can't wait to see where she goes next. Um, The biggest takeaway I had from this episode is I'm always trying to jump to the next thing and have this rapid growth. And Red Light Lit has proven to be so steady over the years, so successful as time goes on. And that's really what resonated with me on this episode today. So thank you for being here and I hope you enjoy it. Jennifer Lewis is a writer and the editor-in-chief of Red Light Lit. She's created a platform where emerging and established writers can explore love, relationships, and sexuality without misogyny. Jennifer believes poetry and storytelling connects us to humanity. In March of 2018, her short story, The New Low, was the winner of the Bindle Award. And in June 2017, she was the first runner-up for the Los Angeles Review Creative Nonfiction Award for her short story, Holy Communion, which I love. Her fiction has been published in Cosmonauts Avenue, 1111, 14 Hills Press, and Midnight Breakfast. Welcome, Jennifer. Thanks, Krista. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Nice to hear your voice. 
I miss you so much. I just want to start by saying, how are you? I, the last time I saw you was just a few months ago at a red light lit event. We were at piano fight. Um, and I brought somebody for the first time and it's one of my favorite things introducing somebody to red light lit because you can explain it or I can try to explain it. And I feel like I'm pretty good at like pitching things and selling things, which the thing about red light lit is it sells itself, but it's sort of hard to explain until you experience it. And watching my friend at the end, her mouth was just like dropped open and looked at me and was just like, I didn't know that something like this existed. Like, thank you. And I just love getting that reaction from people. It's so beautiful. And I know you probably get to witness it all the time, but it was just a really fun night and it was so good to see you. Yeah, it was good to see you. I'm glad you got to see that show, um, to see the dancers perform because you've been following Red Light Lit for a long time. And that is the second show that we've had dancing. So it meant a lot to me that you were there. It was one of my favorite shows. And I say that a lot. There have been a lot of good ones, but something about the curation, and we'll talk about that more, but the energy and the readers, and it was just so good. It was such a good show. So and that's really cool because I think you do say that after every show, which um, <laughs> means that we're improving. and we're Totally. Totally. Um, so how are you? What's happening? How was your summer? Tell me everything. <laughs> uh, I'm good. My summer was good. I actually spent a week to myself writing in LA. And I think you know that I, I love Los Angeles. And it was really fun for me to spend a week on my own work and somewhat difficult not to do any red light lit stuff. Um, yeah. So it was good. I got to do some traveling. I got to spend time with my family. And now my kids are back to school and we have a little bit of structure. So it's it's kind of nice to, to be back in the swing of things. I love your stuff. I wish you got up and read at the events more. I know you know that I say, <laughs> I say that all the time, but like something happens when you get up and read and I can just tell like it's your passion. Like, you know, you have... The, the whole writing world, really, and sharing stories, I know, is your passion, but something when you get up and read, I'm just, like, so excited. So do you have any stuff coming out soon, or um, what's happening with your writing? I do. I have three short prose pieces coming out in the Los Angeles press, um, and thank you for saying that about my work. I, I wanted to say I didn't start Red Light Lit for it to be a platform for my work, um, and that's why I usually don't read at the event because it's almost my reverence to all of the writers in the Bay Area that I love and appreciate. Um, however, when we're on the road, I sometimes do read for Red Light Lit. Um, and that's mostly because I don't know why I do it. Sometimes it just makes more sense and it, my writing fits with the program. Yeah. Well, you're so humble, <laughs> like so humble. I love that about you. I'm obsessed with a lot of things about you. So we've met, when was that? Was that 2015? Do you remember? I think that sounds right. Cause we started Red Light Lit in 2013 and I think it was a good, it was running for a couple of years before we met. Yeah. So Jennifer was actually 
in, I had been sort of doing stuff for clients and for people and for friends on and off um, before I met you, but you were the first like real client that I had that I wasn't friends with (laughs) before. So you actually like hired me without knowing me. And it was through my good friend, Allison, who is also a reader and writer for Red Light Lit, um, which I feel like I need to have her on this podcast at some point just because she's so wonderful. But Anyway, she posted, and this is just the power of starting a business um, and your network. She posted on her Facebook, you know, my friend Krista is helping people with their brands and websites and social media. And if anybody needs help, here's her new website. And I had just launched crystalletco.com and you reached out to me and I came to your office. It was so cool. It was like that, my first like real experience stepping out on my own without like having a connection first or like a personal friendship first. And it was so good and so inspiring. And I feel like we've been able to have coffee or connect about business or life like every few months since then. Um, And it's just been such a beautiful experience getting to know you and help Red Light Lit and support Red Light Lit and just introduce you to writers and just show up and and support the experience. I, my cousin who lives like in the middle of nowhere, North Carolina, do you remember the show she came to? Do you remember that? Which one was it? It was in that really cool, like speakeasy upstairs somewhere in San Francisco. And she was like laughing hysterically. Like she was like the loudest audience member I've ever heard, but her mind was just blown by the experience. Was and the armory in the basement, that show, I don't know. No, it, it was upstairs and that's all I remember, there were couches everywhere. Oh, yes. Okay. That was at the secret location that no longer exists. Yes. yes. That was an awesome show. I really liked that show. I read my friend Blariana's story for her birthday for her at that show. That's probably why I loved it so much because you read. But yeah, I just love introducing people to the shows and I want to talk more about what the shows are. But um, my favorite thing about you actually is, so the first time we met, um, we talked for like, I don't know, maybe hour and a half. And I, I just became really sort of obsessed with you and your work ethic and how you carry yourself and how real you are and how passionate you are about what you do. And it sort of solidified for me that this is truly what I want to be doing, especially in this niche of like working with artists and writers and musicians and yoga teachers and sort of, you know, it totally falls in that space. But after we left, Um, I was talking to Allie about you and she's like, oh my God, isn't she so cool? And everyone who meets you like falls in love with you. All of my guy friends have like huge crushes on you. All my girlfriends have huge crushes on you. So you have this effect on people, but you're also a mom. And I didn't know that after the first time hanging out with you and you're a super dedicated mom. I'm like weirdly obsessed with your kids. They're so cool. And, um, just being able to have like a two hour meeting with you and not know that you had children gave me sort of this weird hope because my sort of biggest goal is to have kids, but I'm in this weird entrepreneurial phase of, I can't even imagine having them right now. And you navigate it really well. Like having kids has not taken over your full identity yet. You're so present with them. And I kind of just wanted to start with that because it's really, truly my favorite thing is how 
well-rounded, I guess you are, or your life and how you're able to do so many things at once and put your all to so many things at once. And like, how the fuck do you do that? (laughs) Okay. It's a lot. Um, well, I guess, I mean, I've, I've been a mother for some time now. Um, my oldest is 15 and I have a 13 year old and I have a 10 year old. So it's not like you're meeting me in the first um, year of having a baby. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. And I, I will say I had my first daughter at 28, which I'm from the Midwest. So that's not really young. Um, however, out here, I was definitely the first of my friends to have kids for probably about five years. And wow. so, and also I'm, I mean, and similar to you in that I, I have a lot of energy and I can get by with not that much sleep. Um, although it's changing as I get older, I need a little bit more sleep, <laughs> but, um, so yeah, at 28, I mean, I, I had my daughter and, I basically, you know, use that time when she was napping to always be reading and writing. And I was really lucky because my friends that came over were just friends. And we talked about all the topics that I wanted to talk about. And when I stopped into mother's groups and, you know, I don't know, even prenatal yoga, I I mean, I basically did my Mysore practice because I was practicing Mysore yoga to my seventh month of pregnancy, I was doing like drop ends. Wow. And I even brought Grace in a carriage to a Mysore practice, which is basically a self-taught practice from like 7am to 9am in the morning um, after she was born. So I basically, I don't know, I, I think it was really important for me to keep my identity, but also, you know, very sacred to me, the time that I was being a mother wasn't broadcasted. It wasn't on Instagram. Luckily, I didn't have that at the time. And I don't know when I went to mothers groups and I was debating like Tylenol versus like Benadryl. I just <laughs> like that wasn't where my attention was. And it, it wasn't to say that anything was bad about those groups. It's like I admire all mothers. It just wasn't where my heart was. Um, and so, yeah, so I kind of kept that. In fact, when I went to graduate school, I kind of felt like I was leading a double life because I didn't tell people, I didn't talk about my kids at graduate school because I had been home for eight years raising my kids. So when I went back to graduate school, all I wanted to talk about was books and writing and homework and the assignments. And then I think it was probably like second semester, I started telling people that I had kids and everyone was in shock. Like I had, that's how I felt. I was like, no way. She has three kids, but it, to me, it gave me so much hope really. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I mean, I don't know. I could have, I could have swung the pendulum the other way. It just was, I felt like once it is interesting, once people know you're a mother, there is a change there. Is, and a lot of it's good. Like people all of a sudden think you have all this wisdom that they didn't think you had five seconds ago. <laughs> so again, like, I don't know if that's deserved or not. Um, so I don't know. I like, I like having meeting people where they are in that moment and not making any assumptions about them because of these layers of identity. Yeah. It's such an interesting conversation. I was at a dinner a few weeks ago and I didn't know any of the women there. And, um, I went for a friend and they all had children and it was 
such a weird situation that I found myself in because I didn't speak, which is funny because I talk a lot, um, because the whole topic of conversation for two hours was their kids. And meanwhile, I happen to know the backstory on some of these women and they own jewelry businesses and bars and like they're so they have these huge lives, you know, but it was all about, um, you know, breast pumps and different brands of like this stuff. And I just didn't feel like I could contribute at all. And I just found myself sitting there like a little bit disappointed because I really want kids. Like I just spent the whole day yesterday. My friend Erin has this baby Cora who I've talked about on this podcast before I had her dad on this podcast and, um, she's almost four months old now. And I am obsessed with her. Like I've never been so obsessed. Right. I've never wanted kids more. And then I went to this dinner and was so disappointed. And it's like, you're sort of my, um, I don't know. I really look up to you in that way. One, because I know you're such a good mom and your kids are so fucking rad. Um, but two, you've just, you, the red light lit thing too, is like so extremely the opposite. I think of like having little babies. It's like these people are getting up and they're talking about sex and gender and, it's so powerful. And the fact that you're able to like navigate the two so beautifully is so inspiring as like a woman in business. So thank you for doing what you do. Um, let's talk about red light lit. Okay. So I'm going to try to explain what it is, but then I'd like you to sort of help me fill in the gaps. But um, my question at the end of my probably horrible explanation is how the fuck did you come up with this and how you're like a master curator. So Red Light Lit, when you go to an event, it's um, basically Jennifer curates. Um, She produces these live literary events that include music. A lot of times um, there's music playing behind the live music playing while the readers are reading their pieces. And it just, it's really amazing. She has live musical performances, now dancers. And the most beautiful thing about it is somebody gets up and reads like multiple times. Sometimes they'll even stop their poem or their short story halfway and then somebody else gets up and reads and then it just sort of flows throughout and it's this like beautiful curation. It's a performance. It's, it's so many things. You laugh, you cry and I don't know how the fuck you do it. (laughs) <laughs> like it's it's incredible How, did I do that justice no, no, I, I think that sounds great I mean a lot I will say a lot to answer it is I mean I don't want to say oh it's magic but I mean basically I have about five or six writers that I have in mind that I'd like to see their work together and I ask each writer to send me three to five pieces of their work and then I sit down with their work and just keep reading it and keep reading it. And then I start seeing themes that appear and I almost start curating it like a play so that the work starts talking to each other. And so the short answer is I probably spend more time on this than any other curator does because I mean, it's, it's almost an unhealthy. I spent a lot of time thinking about it and really putting it together. And it's cute because sometimes after a show, someone will say, oh, that seems like it really went together well. And I was like, oh, you think? Like, I spent <laughs> no. like hours putting it together. But I also, like I said, I really love 
the work and I'm really inspired and I'm inspired by how all different like diverse voices have similar themes and kind of the whole thing about red light lit is is showing like same like this love and sharing love and sharing respect and kind of bringing people together and especially people that maybe you don't think you have anything in common with or exposing people to you know new stories that they haven't heard with so they can have a deeper understanding and we realize the, the sameness and everyone kind of leaves I think feeling better and having a better sense of community. I love it. And you're also, in addition to producing these live events, which you can catch, she does a lot of them in the Bay Area, but also all over. I mean, you do them in Seattle, in LA, um, Denver, like you've really grown this thing. And it's just been really beautiful to watch. And on top of that, you're a small press. So you're actually publishing these writers and you've published multiple are they books, short collections? What do we call them? Yeah, well, first I want to make one small correction. We haven't been to Denver yet, but that's what you and I are talking about doing. Today. Okay, we're coming to Denver. We're coming to Denver. Um, and our next show is on a Tuesday, October 8th at 8 p.m. at Piano Fight, um, which we'll be putting up the Facebook invitation soon. So you can always follow us on Facebook or Instagram for that information. Um, and then... For publishing, so we published nine literary journals. So ideally, we were going to try to publish in the beginning journals that went along with the show. And that was just a tremendous amount of work, even though they were beautiful and I loved them. Um, And then last year, we did a poetry anthology, which was Love is the Drug and Other Dark Poems, which you can get on Amazon. And that's so good. So good. I'm so proud of that that book. And that was with my co-editor, um, Jesse Carver coming out of Portland. And it was featuring 33, mostly Bay area writers, but they, we did have some writers from Portland as well. Um, and we featured 10 artists in the book because I love art and I love music. And so that's why we've incorporated art and music into the show. So it's truly interdisciplinary. So each show has an art component and it's basically, we feature one artist's work and I curate the slide to the poem. So for some of the artists that have come to the show, in my mind, it's like a love letter to them. And we featured at the last show that you were at, the painter Deirdre White. And she's someone who I just have so much respect for her paintings that I get nervous because I'm taking a lot of liberties of matching her work with a poem. And then afterwards, when she came up and said that she was so moved and that she just couldn't even believe, like seeing all of her work, how emotional it was and how grateful she was, to me, that's who I do it for, that Mm -hmm. one artist um, and the fact that she was happy, I was happy. Um, I love that. And I totally forgot that piece of it. So not only is there music and writing and reading, but behind the writers, as they're out there talking on a big screen, um, are, is this art, you know, sometimes it's a photographer, sometimes it's an artist and it goes with the poems. So not only are you curating the music and the writers, but the art that goes with it. And it's just so amazing. So 
what's happening in the publishing world. Okay, in the publishing right world. Okay, big announcement. Um, really, ding, ding, ding. Yeah, big announcement. I'm really excited. We are publishing our first singular author. So on September 9th, we will be announcing that we are publishing the poetry collection Unearth the Flowers by Thea Matthews. And it's an absolutely beautiful, powerful, brilliant collection. Um, Thea, I don't you I don't know if you I, I'm sure you've seen Thea reach Thea has read for Red Light Lit, but she's also, you know, read for Foglifter and the Rumpus and She's been a poet and an activist. She's born and raised in San Francisco. And she's someone who I have been in awe of since the moment I've come in contact with her words. So I'm really excited to almost spend a year with her just touring around the United States, promoting her book. And it's exciting. (laughs) So powerful how you find these writers and just... I mean, it's such a beautiful thing, like your passion for publishing emerging writers, like just that sentence alone is like as a writer getting published. I mean, you actually, I actually just thought of this, even had me read once. Yeah, they were great. (laughs) And it's funny because I had never even thought to do it. And you're such a cheerleader, like you're such a supporter. And I ended up reading two pieces. Um, I can't even remember. One is about, um, I think it was called um, The Serial Monogamist was one of them. And then the other one I talked about, uh, Real Love. And it was about all of this kind of stuff that happens once you settle down and, and what real love to me actually looked like. And it was such an interesting experience. But having you like cheerlead me along. And now like I'll write something in the middle of the night and just like send it to you for fun because it's like, you've sort of opened up this window. I mean, you really interest in introduced me to this new sort of form of poetry and just feeling and love and reading. And it's, it's so powerful. And how, how do you find these writers though? Like Deirdre, for example, like how do you find these artists? How do you find these writers? Like, where do you look? Do they come to you? Do people send them to you? How do you get in touch with them? Well, again, I think it was, it's all a process. I've lived in San Francisco since 1997 and I've been pretty involved in just being a spectator at literary scenes and the music scene and the arts scene the small art scene that we have here. And I, you know, when I went back to grad school at San Francisco State, is I just had a really strong class of writers in my 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 school at the time. And then we all kind of branched out to do other things, like Maya and Chad did Foglifter Press. Uh, I started Red Light Lit. And I've constantly been going to Quiet Lightning, which is another one of probably the first reading series in San Francisco that has brought together so many writers. And just I became in contact with them. And then the rest, again, is is kind of, you know, magical. Just Mm -hmm. every time I go to a city, I swear I meet someone. Um, You know, we were in Palm Springs and I met this woman named Jasa and she basically we just talk and she's like well when I'm in San Francisco we'll do a show and I basically every time I've talked about something 
it's happened. And mm. so I feel like I'm really attracting the right people or the people who keep coming back to Red Light Lit or the people who really appreciate it and understand it. And as what you said, so much of Red Light Lit is leaving being inspired to write. So I'm, I hope that's what happens. And so many, that's so much of the feedback is people go home or they'll say, you know, I went home and I wrote something I haven't written in five years. And it's also giving them a, a place where they think they could share their work if that's eventually what they want to do. I love it. I love it so much. And it's, I, I think to a piece of this like magic you're talking about is I have a lot of people on this podcasts that are so different and unique. Like last week or yeah, last week I had Ryan Harris, who's a Super Bowl champion, who is now like this big motivational speaker and talks about mindset. And I think something really beautiful happens no matter what you're doing. Like it's so obvious to me knowing you and seeing these shows come to life and how it's grown. It's what you're supposed to be doing. Like it flows. That's where the magic happens is like when you're doing that thing that you love, that you're so passionate about and working really hard Mm -hmm. at it, which you work so hard, things just sort of fall into place. You call in you call people in. I mean, everybody that's even on been on this podcast or a client of mine, I've called in, you know, to my space. And, and you're right. Like if I think about it happening and work towards something happening, it happens. Well, also just advice to anyone who wants to become part of like the reading series or any lit scene is I'll give the example of the dancer, Tristan Ching Hartman, who you saw perform, you know, Tristan and I, became friends because she was my yoga student, which is hysterical because she's a professional dancer. And she would introduce me as her yoga teacher as if I had <laughs> like an ounce of credit, like for any, anything, but it was, it was really, it was really kind of sweet. Um, however, Tristan had come to all of the red light lit shows for probably about two years. She would come, she came out to Healdsburg. She, you know, contacted, you know, she read a lot of the writer's work. She read Nick Jana's book. She started teaching his work in her classes. And she just had that same reverence for the writers that I did. So finally, you know, we were a slow burn when it happened. It was so right because she had been attending our events and, and loved, you know, the poet, Christine, no, her words spoke to her and then she created movements around her words. So if I think if you want to write for a literary magazine, if you want to be part of a show, you really have to attend those shows. So you see, you know, see the show evolve and just be part of the community. I think you did hit on something big there, which is slow burn. I think a lot of people are sort of, especially in this funny world we live in, like wanting something to happen overnight. And that's something I, I so appreciate about Red Light Lit because I know it hasn't been easy for you. And we'll talk about that. Like, you know, in a world where things are moving online and starting a publishing company, all of this stuff, it's such a big conversation, but that's what red light lit feels like to me is like the candle is just as bright, if not brighter and bigger than ever, but it has been like this steady burn of growth. And it's really inspiring because I had Deborah Silverman, um, an astrologer on here. And she said, you know, it can get, 
you can start to sort of resent the process. And I think as an artist and a writer, especially, um, if you're writing all this stuff and you're not getting published, or you're not getting, you know, the credit or whatever it is, um, especially if it's your passion, it can so easily turn into like this resentment um, for the thing, whatever it is. And what Deborah's advice was, is like, keep going. Mm -hmm. Like you have to keep hustling at that thing. You can't let resentment take over. And I think it, the, just the words, like it being a slow burn is refreshing (laughs) to hear, um, because it, it doesn't happen overnight. And for some it does, but like you just described this relationship and when it finally came together, I'm so happy I got to witness that. Um, and it's all about timing and it's all about, things happening the way that they're supposed to. And I feel like you really, and I think maybe it might be your yoga background. I don't know what it is, but you really have this sort of surrender and watching how red light lit evolves and new ideas come in and people come in and, you know, it's just, it's really cool um, that it's just this steady growth and you have all these ideas and some work and some don't, and you just keep going. Mm. Definitely. (laughs) Um, Okay. So the big question, speaking of a slow burn that so many of my clients struggle with because I work with a lot of people and myself in general or myself included, I, we were talking last weekend with some friends and they were like, if you weren't doing what, what you are currently doing, what would you do? And for me, it's actually right. Um, I have a book idea. I have five stories already written in the book. I don't know if I've told you the name of the book yet, but it's called When I Was an Asshole. (laughs) And I just don't have the time to do it. But the question is for all writers, self-publishing or publishing house, (laughs) like the pros and cons, do we self-publish or do you go with a publishing company? Um. Like... That, Let's talk about that. Yeah, that. I mean, that's that's a really good question. And it's a question that I am kind of in right now myself. Um, I have a short story collection that you've read. And I keep wondering, why wouldn't I just self-publish it? Um, yeah. With that said, it's out at about, you know, four presses waiting. I mean, I've sent it out to more, but the ones that haven't rejected me, I have like four left. Um, and then I just had an agent ask for the full manuscript back because um, I sent them 10 pages. So I think in general, you kind of have to do multiple tracks at the same time. And, you know, sending it out to small presses, even sending your work out to agents to just see what you can get. But another question is, what does the small press do for you that you can't do for yourself? Because so mm-hmm. many of the online, like Ingram Sparks, like so many people can make books now online without a book designer, without any past experience. Um, It's like building a website, you can now make a book. So the process has gotten a lot easier. And, you know, small presses don't do as much or just any press, you know, they don't do as much as they used to with promoting the book and having a publicist. So, you know, with the internet, the industry has changed a lot. And before people wanted the validation of, you know, being selected by a press. And in some ways, you know, that's still true now. But also when you're trying to put your manuscript into a small press or a larger press, you know, there are these gatekeepers and even, you know, 
having a, a lot of Twitter following is could be a reason why your book gets published. And to me, I always want it to be the quality of the work, not how many followers that I have. So there's, <laughs> there's definitely, you know, it's, it's definitely becoming a great area. It For self-publishing, I just think you would, you know, you're going to have to hustle either way. And when you work with a small press, at least you have some team, or at least you have, you know, some people helping you because it really does take a village to get your book into bookstores, to start to do your book tour. And it usually helps if you have work with people who have an experience with that. Yeah, I just I find it to be such an interesting conversation because I have two clients that are writers and they're uh, published writers with a publishing company. And um, one of them is actually choosing to self-publish her next book. Um, And the other meetings I've been sitting in on with another client, it was kind of shocking to me how little you make as a writer, when you go with a big publishing house, like a good friend of mine had a New York times bestseller. And at the end of her book tour ended up breaking even financially. And so for, for me as like somebody who does marketing, I'm like, well, fuck, um, I could market your book and get it in front of, you know, 500,000 people, um, and take, such a small percentage, Mm -hmm. you know, I believe in like giving it back to the writer, but then I see these big published writers and it's just kind of a funny conversation because what I'm realizing is, um, as somebody who's like out there talking about different things and having these different ideas to have a book to go along with it is sort of like necessary, but also I feel like, I don't know if it's like diluted the book scene or the publishing scene, all of this like self-publishing because you don't really need to meet any criteria whatsoever to like publish your book Mm -hmm. anymore. And as a writer and somebody that's been published, like how is that, I don't know, has it changed in the world at all in the industry? Like what's happening now that everybody can sort of, anybody can publish if they want to? Well, I mean, that's kind of more, you know, the state of writing and journalism in general since the internet, because I mean, when I started writing, I worked for a magazine, it was called Red Herring. And, you know, you would have an editor, a fact checker, and then it would go <laughs> the senior editor. And basically, it would, it would, you know, go through six different really intelligent people who would work on making sure what you were saying was honest and correct. And now we, we eliminated all of those things. And that's kind of how it is when people post things online, you know, that's probably why, again, with my writing as a slow burn, because I still get it copy edited. I still have a lot of feedback from people before I, you know, post online. So I, I, I still feel like I was structured in those processes and I, I put that into our anthologies and in now our collection coming up. So I just, I, I, I feel like there has to be some integrity in when yeah. something's published, it should be very high quality. Yeah. I couldn't agree more, like honestly. And I think what the, what I'm coming back to with my writing is I would rather it be done right mm-hmm. and in integrity than make a bunch of money. So I think the idea too is what's the intention behind publishing. Mm -hmm. Um, and for me, it would be like to be recognized, to be, 
to have a publishing company, like a publishing company reached out to me about my Marketing Your Dharma talk. Mm -hmm. And I definitely don't want to publish the book Marketing Your Dharma, though I was thinking about it. It's definitely going to be called When I Was an Asshole. But um, this idea of like, for me, it would just be a piece of what I do, but I'm also not a writer, right? Trying to make a living. Like I don't identify as a writer trying to make a living and um, I can make money other ways. So it would just sort of, for me, be like another extension of my work and having something to sort of leave behind. And then I get into that whole ego thing of, well, I want something to stay around when I go and whatever. That's a whole nother conversation. But no, but why would you say that you're not a writer so adamantly? <laughs> well, I would say I don't identify uh, as a writer right now, though I it's funny that you bring that up because I spend, I do spend a lot of time writing, um, but I don't, I guess, how do you qualify yourself as a writer? Because like, you know, Elephant Journal has published a piece of mine once. Um, I didn't just post it. They actually, I had editors and I went through that process and I really enjoyed it. I enjoy writing and I write all of the content and all of the copy for my clients and, and their work. But, um, I guess because I haven't published something or I haven't self-published something, it's hard. It's weird to identify as a writer. I don't know. Right. Well, I mean, I just think about whenever you're talking about writing, you become very alive. And mm -hmm. I can tell that it's, you know, something that you feel inspired by and that you do. So I think you probably just are a writer. <laughs> it's definitely on my mind. So I'll sit with that. I hear you. I hear you. And I'll sit with that. And I appreciate that. Um, speaking of writing and your writing, I just um, read the, the book Shantaran this summer and it's labeled as fiction. Oh, cool. And yet so much of the stories in the book um, happen that like it's obvious that they're true, I guess. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, just speaking of integrity and writing and, um, sharing, like, I know you've said to me, like before, you know, I have a lot of stories I want to share, but I can't because I then probably would lose all my friends, um, or like something along those lines. And I sort of feel that way too about what I have to, what? Wait. I think I said, I have to wait for everyone to die. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I sort of feel that way too about my writing because, I feel like similar to you, like it's very honest and I love telling stories that way, but I've read a lot of your work and you do label it fiction, but is it fiction is my question. And how do we decide as writers? I think this is a really tough one. And I have a writer friend who writes a lot about her exes and a lot about her dates and even Allison, our good friend, mm -hmm. um, I forget the name. She's going to kill me. Um, but she has a, an art, a article that gets published on dating in San Francisco. And when she was on a dating site, um, this guy found her writing and realized that she had like wrote about him, whatever. It's a whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> so what do we do? Like, how do, do we just call it fiction, even though our friends know it's about them? I mean, where is the line? How much of your writing is, um, inspired by real events and how do you sort yeah. of navigate that? I mean, I guess a lot of it has to do with just my own philosophy and thoughts about memory and point of view. So for me to write something and say that it's true would be somewhat unfair because if you talk to the other person in the story, they would perhaps say that wasn't true for their experience. 
Um, so that's just like one personal philosophy for me. Um, however, I, I read fiction. I've studied the craft of fiction. And even though sometimes I write about an instant, like a personal experience, we can use my story, Holy Communion, which it was about, you know, having some struggle with having my children be baptized Catholic and them going to a Catholic school, even though obviously, you know, there's so many things wrong with the Catholic church and, and, and having total issues with that, but then also living in San Francisco and having that be a, a good option for them. Um, and so there was some truth in it, but then in order for my fictional story to really work, I have to bring elements that are imaginary or not truthful to make the story come together. However, for me in reading and in my own writing, I feel like I can be most truthful in fiction. And Mm. if I'm trying to write something confessional, I start to navigate it to make it work for me. (laughs) And like my point of view, when when I'm writing in fiction, I could expose my vulnerabilities more. And it seems to me more honest. Wow. I love that. (laughs) I feel like I just had like an aha moment. I love when that happens on this podcast. The truth comes in the fiction. I mean, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And what you do is beautiful. And I had, you know, another question about choosing the writers and curating these pieces, sort of going back to this truth and integrity piece. Red Light Lit is pretty... it's extreme. Like the, the writing and the, the writers you choose, it seems that like nothing is really off the table when it comes to talking about sex mm-hmm. and misogyny and all of these topics. And when curating this, um, staying in your integrity and, and helping also showcase these writers for who they are and not dimming their light, um, how far is too far? Like, have you ever gotten a submission and you're like, okay, I, I have to draw the line. And like, yeah. where is that line? And how do you, how do you decide like what gets said or, I mean, or shared? For me, it really is a lot about the writing. So if something's out of say my personal comfort zone or, you know, something that's really, I don't know, I don't, I don't even know it would be too far removed for me, but if the writing is good, if you can empathize with the voice and have a different perspective and become less judgmental because someone is willing to get up and tell their truth that may, you know, make you feel uncomfortable or it may, you might relate to it, but you don't have the ability to say it. I will always pick a story like that. So I really haven't had it. The only thing I w- won't feature is bad writing. And I get a lot of submissions <laughs> that will like, say really gross stories or they'll shock value or they'll talk about stiletto heels. And they think that's what I want. And it's like, no, that's that's not what I want. What I want is a, a good story or a well-written story or the reveal or, you know, someone like Ray Rosado, I think about who just drops you into the heart of the story, like moment one. And that's, that's what I'm, I'm looking for. So yeah, I don't know if that answered your question. No, it, it definitely does. And I think I, you and I, what I'm realizing is we have a lot in common around our passion for good storytelling. And I think 
I'm just sort of realizing in this moment, like my favorite thing about marketing and to me, marketing and what I do is just storytelling and it's good storytelling and it's helping people share their truth. And that's exactly what Red Light Lit is. And I just sort of realized that as you were talking in this moment that that's what matters. And to me, storytelling is how we connect and it's how we understand each other. And I have felt, I can say in a red light lit room, so uncomfortable, like so many times, but it's such good writing and it's so profound. And I just leave feeling so much love. Like I leave every show obsessed with every writer or every performer. Like you fall in love with them all. And, and it's, it's through their storytelling and sort of the more deep and truthful and uncomfortable they make me, the more I love them. Mm -hmm. So it was a great answer. And I'm happy to hear you say that. And, you know, it's challenging. I think it's, we live in a funny world where to me, storytelling and bringing those stories forward, those honest stories is really fucking important. So thank you for doing what you do. Um, I see you, I'm watching what you do and I'm just in awe always of what you're doing. So what is the future sort of looking like for Red Light Lit maybe the next year or so? What is your hope for it? I mean, this new sort of solo author or solo writer series is super exciting. Um, It's going to involve book tours, all that stuff. But as you see Red Light Lit growing, like, do you have a vision for it? Or mm-hmm. like, what's, I mean, what are we, where are we going? I, definitely, I mean, for the next year, I'm excited to work with Thea Matthews and basically get her book in as many hands as possible and as many bookstores. And we will be touring, featuring her work. Um, but also for the shows, as you know, we do one show and then it, it disappears. Like it's impermanent. It doesn't repeat. So something that I would love to do is do a show, a run of a show for three nights in a row. And so then we can have multiple audiences see the show. And then I'm working so much that it won't just disappear after one night. I mean, there's something wonderful about that, but I'd love to do longer runs of one show that I think is really great. I love that. I could totally see that, by the way. Same. Like, I already see it. I think that that's such a great idea because that's what it is. It's like this experience that you should definitely be doing more than one night in a row, I think. It's such a San Francisco show that I feel like I want to really tap into the tourists who are coming in and want to do something that's really authentic and local. Oh, I love it. Speaking of authentic, that led into my last question. Um, You know, Red Light Lit and your whole journey and everything we've talked about, to me, feels like so rooted in authenticity. But I mean, you're such an entrepreneur in the sense of like how you're growing it and building it and running all these things and adding the small press and a lot of decisions have to happen, a lot of connections and um I ask everybody on the show um, to share an inauthentic experience first that's happened with the business and with the art and that experience and how it sort of left you and what you learned from it. And then we'll share um, an authentic moment. Yeah, of course. Well, I I think I can come up with just two, two quick answers. One you'll know is the word entrepreneur. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I don't feel authentic with, that title or I didn't for a long time because 
I am a writer and I am an editor and that's what I do. And I think a lot with your help, seeing myself and accepting myself as an entrepreneur, building a platform, I had an initial resistance to it. And I'm trying to learn more on that front. But like you said, I have so many things going on in the day where I like spending my time is really in the writing and editing. But then I do, you know, spend 20 to 30 percent on building my brand, Krista. <laughs> yes, <laughs> with music to my ears. <laughs> but, you know, in the hopes that the platform will be a springboard for Thea's writing. So now that I could see the greater good, it's easier for me to try to be an entrepreneur. I'm so happy to hear that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and everybody that listens to this knows how I feel about, um, I mean, about growing things and and stepping into new roles and and all of that. But the biggest thing that I talk about all the time is like people follow people. And I think, you know, what introduced me to Red Light Lit was you because I trust you and you have this like incredible network of people and you've grown so many beautiful things. And I definitely think of you as an entrepreneur and I have for a long time, but and then the, the people get in there, like I come for you and then I stay for everyone else, right? And it's sort of the same thing in my business is people come for me and then they stay because of my team. Mm-hmm. You know, once I bring them in the door, they're actually working more with my team than they are with me. But I've sort of come to this nice balance point now where I'm like, okay, if I can introduce them to honest marketing, if I can introduce them to a new way to tell their story and they trust me, then they're going to trust my team because, you know, by default I've hired them, so they should trust them. And it works really beautifully. And I think that you're recognizing that that's really powerful um, because, ultimately red light lit, I think can totally stand on its own. But when people meet you, like you have this passion for it and you're so humble about, you know, leading with the writers and putting them first that, um, yeah, I'm just so happy to hear yeah. you well, say that. One other, the other point I wanted to be honest about, about being unauthentic is in the beginning with the shows, public speaking and being the face of Red Light Lit, it, it wasn't something that I, I still, if I'm being honest, I don't in, enjoy that. And I would cut myself out of the shows if I didn't think people needed an explanation for it. <laughs> because it's it's taken me a really long time to become comfortable on a mic. And it's sometimes easier for me to just read a story because not that I'm ever in a character when I read, but it's something I can do than getting up and being myself and introducing the show and kind of being the face of it. So that's also something that I've had to work on. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I love watching you get up there and like you sort of MC the event and I think it's really powerful having you be a part of it, especially for now, yeah. like for now, <laughs> for now Let's just go with that. So um, on the flip side, do you have like an authentic memory or moment to share where you sort of like stood in integrity and maybe it was difficult, maybe it was easy and, you know, how that sort of happened or felt? 
Um, I, I mean, I guess some want, you know, I, I think probably as a writer, I, I was getting up and sharing a story and knowing that it landed correctly because so many times I've practiced in my room and then when I get on stage being a shaky hand reader and not being able to really ground in my body and express the story how it's meant to be. So I feel like, and I've done that at Red Light Lit, and I think you've seen some of the stories that I did that. I think the night when we were at the the Voight Vineyards was a night that I was really able to express a story how it was meant to be read. And I feel like that was standing in my integrity as a storyteller and a curator. It was so good. I just, I love your stories. I, I can't wait to read more of them. I love that. And I'm just, you know, grateful that you're doing what you're doing. It's like, I meet these people and I, I understand the importance of what you're doing, but it's not my zone of genius. You know, I can help you and I can help Red Light look at scene more and whatever, but the actual ability that you have to curate these events, publish these writers, get passionate, be their cheerleaders. It's just like this big exhale. It's like, oh, thank God someone's doing that. And thank God it's you. Well, well, thank you for always bringing people to the show and being such a big supporter and helping me with marketing. Always. I'm always here. And so if you want to follow Red Light Lit, um, it's a great Instagram account, Red Light Lit, and um, their website, redlightlit.com. And definitely, which I did make, but it needs an update, I'm feeling like. Um, And uh, on Facebook, because that's where she posts all of their events and things like that coming up. So my biggest advice after listening to this for my listeners is if you're in the Bay Area, go to a red light lit show. It it really did change me. Like, And every time there's a show and I have friends in town, I take them to a show because it's just, like you said, it's so San Francisco in a way. Um, and it's so beautiful. It's so powerful. And it makes me just grateful to be a part of this community. So yeah. Thanks for joining me. I love you. Thanks for having me. I miss you. Let's hang out. Okay. Sounds good. Okay. Um, and to everyone tuning in, as always, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. And until next time, keep growing. <laughs>